as we always do, we're going to read the scripture. So whatever method you have, turn to the word in Luke chapter 24, verse 13 onwards. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? He asked. Jesus has a sense of humor. What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe, that all the prof believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So last week, in looking at Jesus' crucifixion, we considered how the word of God was fulfilled in the past, how it is being fulfilled in the present, and how we can be certain it will be fulfilled in the future. The word of God comes to us in many different ways. But whatever and however God communicates with us, it always aligns with the scriptures that have been given the scriptures that are wonderfully sufficient for our lives and for godliness. So today we're considering how the word of God is revealed to us 
and the difference that revelation of God's word makes in our lives. When Jesus encounters, first encounters these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, by the way, I don't know how long it takes to walk seven miles, but they walked all the way to Emmaus and then ran all the way back, so they must have been pretty tired. But when he meets them, they're not tired, they're just sad. And when he encounters them on the road to Emmaus, the Bible says in verse 16 there, they were kept from recognizing him. What kept them? What caused them not to recognize Jesus? Why were they blind to Jesus? They were blind to Jesus because they were not expecting him. You see, the revelation of God's word may not be what we expect. What did the disciples say? They said to Jesus, not knowing that it was him, about Jesus, they're speaking about Jesus. They said he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped. We were expecting that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. After all the time that Jesus had spent with them, after all the time and all the ways in which he had explicitly told them of his death, after all the ways in which he had prepared them, they were still expecting a redeemer, a rescuer, who would do all that they were hoping for. And because their eyes were fixed on an outcome that was not what God said it would be, they missed what God was doing right before their eyes. They're looking over here, expecting this. God's working over here. They missed it. So when Jesus shows up, they don't even recognize him because they're not expecting it. We're so focused on what we want, what we think is right, and what we are sure will happen that we many times... Don't listen to what God is saying. Many times we disregard God and his word. And so in verse 25 and verse 26, Jesus says to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And it sounds kind of harsh, right? But the foolishness that Jesus is referring to is not a lack of intelligence. He's not saying to them, oh, you stupid guys. He's not, he's not condemning them. He's not finding fault with them. He's not attacking them. He's actually speaking about foolishness, which is the condition that David describes in Psalm 14, verse 1, when he says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The foolishness that the Bible is describing and the foolishness that Jesus is pointing to is when we cut God out of our picture. We have an expectation. We have a picture. We have an idea. This is what should happen. And we've taken God out of the picture. And Jesus says, that's foolish. That's foolish. Don't do that. Don't you realize that all these things were supposed to be fulfilled in this way? It is foolish for you to think that this is what should happen and to leave God out of that picture. 
And so it's similar to what Paul says, right? Paul, when he says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Why are you now turning away? What's he saying? Paul is saying, look, you became foolish because what you saw with your own eyes, you denied. You somehow thought it was something else. You got deceived. You, you went down this path. And so that has caused you to become foolish. When you become foolish by denying the truth of God that you saw with your own eyes, you are choosing to be blind to the truth. We don't always explicitly cut God out of our lives. We don't, we don't, we don't always say there's no God. Right? But in the ways that we think, that we act, even when we say we believe in God, we're essentially functional atheists. We live as if there is no God. We live as if it's all up to us. We live as if the future depends on what we can do. And maybe you don't go that extreme. Maybe you don't say that there's no God. Maybe you don't live as a functional atheist. But instead of allowing God to be the Lord and master of our lives, we decide what we want for ourselves. And we decide what we want or what is necessary for others. And then we say, God, please bless my plan, my timing, and my expected results. This is what I have in mind. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I think. God, please bless it. We identify as Jesus' disciples. We follow him. We witness the miracles. We sing. We receive his blessings. We hear him say that he died for our sins, but we are living according to our own expectations. When we don't believe God and his word, when we move away from the light, when then, as 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why did the disciples, why were they kept from recognizing Jesus? Their mind was given to thinking about things that were not actually from Jesus, not from his word, not what he had said. And that caused them to be blinded to the light of God himself. The only remedy then is what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, the revelation of God's word opens our eyes. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, what we read there says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's shorthand, or that's the Jewish way of saying all the scriptures, the Old Testament as such, right? Jesus, he, Jesus, 
explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't that be a Bible study that you would want to attend? Ooh. I mean, I, again, I don't know how long the road, you know, how long they walked, but all during that time, Jesus is explaining how all of the script, scriptures are concerning him and what it means and why it had to be this way. Wow, that's pretty special. That's great. Jesus explains the scriptures to them. He explained why what God had said was different from their expectations. He brought the light, the word that drove out the darkness. And he accompanies his revelatory word with revelatory action. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to them, and their eyes were opened. He took the bread, took this action, spoke it, acted, and the Bible says, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. All that time, all this talk, all this explanation, and it took Jesus going through all of that to, for their eyes to be opened, and they recognized him. What have you been believing about yourself, your family, your circumstances? What have you been expecting from others and from God for yourself, your family, or for your circumstances? What are the expectations that you have been setting up? And are those things keeping you from recognizing Jesus? Are what you are holding on to leading you to miss God's plan and his word for you? Are you pursuing a relationship a career, an interest, something, anything that is devoid of God and therefore is foolish. See, Jesus, who was the word that became flesh and made his dwelling among us, the one of whose glory we have seen, the one who came from the Father full of grace and truth, that Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, he says, that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You want to be receiving revelation? You want to know what to do? You want to have illumination? You want to have the purposes and the, and the plan of God clear to you? You got to go to the light. In the darkness, you can't see. You have to go to the light. The light reveals. The light makes it clear. The light shows you the path you should go in. Jesus said, I, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John, 4, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can have light for the path, but you have a light that shows you a path that is Jesus himself. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm not just telling you to go walk somewhere. I am with you. I am in you. I am showing the light. And I'm the way. I'm the one that's going to lead you forward. 
I'm the one that's going to let you set the right expectations. I'm the one that lets you see the milestones that's ahead of you in this journey of life that I've called you to. I am the way. I am the light. I am the truth. I am the, I am the one that is going to give you all that you need for life. And in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says, I am the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. What are you expecting? What are you looking for? What fruit are you looking to bear? In your education, in your job, in your family, in your investments, in, in your savings, in your retirement plans. What are you looking for? That you are looking for some fruit. Jesus says, I, I am the vine. I am the vine. Abide in me. And I in you. And you will bear much fruit. Oh, these are glorious words. These are encouraging words. This is the word of God that he is ready to reveal to us. That he seeks to reveal to us. That he takes time to explain to us. So that our eyes are open. Jesus doesn't say, I'm the way, I'm the life, I'm the truth, now figure it out. He says, let me show you from all the scriptures why this was supposed to be this way. Let me tell you about myself. Let me show you the way that you need to walk in. Let me guide you. Let me shine the light. Oh, Jesus is so intimately involved in our lives and gives us this kind of privilege. Why would you choose anything else? Why would you want to go in any other way? Why would you seek to go in your own strength? and in your own wisdom. Why? Jesus is saying, hey, I've got all this for you. All this, all this. We say, thanks, but I've got it figured out. Exactly, but I've got it figured out. I know what's happening. I've got it figured out. You know, this morning as we are sitting here today, and for those of you who are online, I want to challenge you. Maybe you've heard this word before. Maybe you've been confronted by the revealed word of God. Maybe you've understood that Jesus says that he is the savior. But you were expecting something else. Or maybe you've been confused by some other message that you've heard. And you have a different idea. You have a different expectation of who Jesus is and what he should be. The redeemer that you think that Jesus should be for you. The one who will prosper you materially, maybe, or do something else. Or, or as Herod, when Jesus came and stood before him at, the, at that trial, where Herod says, do a, do a miracle. Do a sign. Let me see a sign. Right? Maybe there's a whole bunch of other expectations that you have formed about this Jesus. But the word of the God, the word of the Lord is very simple. It's very direct. It's very clear. It says, look, Jesus says, I have given my life for you. I went to the cross for you. But I rose from the dead in fulfillment of all the scriptures for you. And I am now living so that you can live. So that you can abide in me. We're not abiding in a dead man. We're not going to a tomb 
We are abiding in the living Lord Jesus. That's the challenge. That's the opportunity. So this morning, if you don't know this Lord, if you have never responded to this revelation, if you haven't seen this light, I'm praying and I'm saying, I'm, I'm challenging you that this morning be the opportunity where you say, Lord, open my eyes that I may recognize you. You see, when we are receiving his word, when our eyes are opened, then our hearts are transformed. The revelation of God's word may not be what you expect, may not be what you are thinking about. The revelation of God's word is affecting us in these ways and is opening our eyes and we start to recognize, oh, this is who the Lord is. This is Jesus. This is his word. Oh, I, I see this. I understand it. But Jesus doesn't just stop there because the revelation of God's word transforms our hearts. You see, those two disciples in Luke 24, 31, they said, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Maybe there was something in there that needed to be burnt out. Maybe there was some stronghold in their hearts that had to be demolished. But what was happening when Jesus is speaking to them is that their hearts are being changed. Their hearts are being transformed. You see, the Bible says, the heart is the wellspring of life. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Not this pumping thing in our bodies here, but the very essence of who you are. You, your identity, your spirit, your soul, who you are on the inside. The Bible is saying, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. It is the place of decision and destiny. The heart is more important than our head, our intellectual understanding, our knowledge, our wisdom, all the education that we could have the degrees, all of that. More important than all of that, our head is the heart. And the heart is more important than our hands, the actions that we take, the places that we would go to, and the things that we would do, and we'd say, look at that, look at that, look at what I did. I'm a self-made man. And the heart is more important than that. The heart, the Bible says, that's where the motives, the desires, the intents, all these things that are coming from our heart. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but the heart, the heart, the motives, the heart is what is weighed by the Lord. You can say, oh, I'm doing the right thing, I'm doing well. But you know, we can be misled by the motives of our hearts because our hearts can be deceived. That's what Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 says. We can be selfishly motivated, James chapter 4, verse 3, and we can miss the will of God that affects us and as, us as part of the body of Christ. We can even minister, we can even do the things of God. We can even minister from God, for God rather, from impure motives of the heart. 
That's what Philippians chapter 1, verse 17 says. So in all of those situations, we desperately need the word of God that discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says. We need the revelation of God's word, which is the only, only way by which the true motives of our heart are revealed. When our heart is revealed, then it can be changed. When our deceit is known, when our impurity is made clear, when our hearts are revealed, when the word of God exposes it, then we say, oh God, I see my heart for what it is. I see it, and I ask you, Lord, to change me, to transform me. You see, Jesus didn't stop with the word becoming flesh. Jesus didn't stop with the declaration of the word. Jesus didn't stop with the fulfillment of the word. Jesus didn't stop with explaining the word. He didn't even stop with opening our eyes so that we would behold wondrous things in the word and we would recognize him. Psalm 119 says that. We open my eyes, Lord, that I may see wondrous things in your law. Right? But Jesus didn't stop with any of that. Jesus goes further and he transforms our hearts. He takes our hardened hearts, our hearts of stone, and he gives us hearts of flesh. That's what Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says. He gives us true life. You think you're living because your heart is beating? You need to have this heart of flesh that the Lord gives. Otherwise, you're a dead man walking. You're dead in your sins. Dead in darkness. Deceived. Not even knowing. Unaware that the God's word, that the Lord's word, that his plan for you, that his complete Revelation for you is missed as you pursue your own expectations. And so the Bible tells us that there is a Lord that allows us to respond to this revealed word of God. We respond by receiving the word of God. By saying, Lord, I believe. I understand. I accept. I receive you. But most importantly, what we're saying is, Lord, I welcome, I receive, I establish, or I respond to your invitation, to your call, to your love, to say, Lord, I am your child. I come into your family. I have accepted the Lord Jesus as my Savior, my Redeemer. Not the redeemer of the political world. Not the redeemer of my expectation or my thinking. Not the redeemer that everybody else around me says that I should be looking for. But the redeemer that your word reveals. And so, Lord, I receive. I respond. And I am saved. I am set free. I am no longer walking in darkness. 
I see the light. Oh, nothing can happen in our lives unless the Lord opens our eyes. But we have to ask him, oh Lord God, open my eyes. Open my eyes that I may recognize Jesus. Open my eyes that I may see the light. Open my eyes that I may see the way. Open my eyes that I may understand what lies before and how I should proceed. Open my eyes to the word of God. Open my eyes that I may fully and completely recognize you. And that's the way that then we apply that word of God. That we say, Lord, because we see your word, because we understand, because we know that you are light and you shine this light and you give me light on the way that is before me, I allow you, Lord, not just to open my eyes, but to transform my heart. I want you, Lord, to do something in my life. I want you to cleanse this heart of mine. My heart that was sinful, my heart that was hard, my heart that was rebellious, my heart that was foolish because I had cut God out of the picture. Lord God, change it. Give me true wisdom. Give me true understanding. Give me true hope and life. Take away these anxious thoughts, all these cares. I cast them on you, Lord, as you take my heart and transform it. Oh, what a joy. What a privilege. And all your life, you may have heard this message of the gospel. You may even think that you have responded to this message of the gospel. But I want to challenge you this morning. Has your heart been transformed? Has your heart been changed? This morning, we're going to take some time to worship. We're going to take some time to call on to the Lord and to say, Lord God, we need you to move and to have your way. We need you to have your transforming work in us. We want to call out to the Lord and worship him in spirit and in truth. We started this morning by responding to a call to worship that said to shout to the Lord. And we thank God that we were shouting to the Lord in our songs and in our thanksgiving and in our praise. But we want to close this morning by doing the same to worship him and to say, oh, thank you, God, that you have given me life. Thank you, God, that you have shown the light. Thank you, God, that you have revealed your word. It's not just the fulfilled word from the past. It's the revealed word in the present. And it is able to change me. It is able to transform me. As we have some time of worship together, as Micah leads us in song, don't be paying attention to the song itself. Pay attention to the Lord. Pay attention to the Lord. Worship him. And I'm challenging you this morning that even as we're singing, even as we're worshiping, even as we're praising, even as we're turning to Him, ask the Lord, Lord, how do I respond? Lord, come and have a way, have your way in my heart. You want to sit, you want to kneel, you want to come to the front, you want to just offer yourself to the Lord as an act of worship and as an act of submission to the Lord. Do it. Do whatever you feel that you need to and the Holy Spirit is prompting you. For those of you who are joining us online, wherever you are, respond to this word. Let today be the day that you would say, Lord, I want to know you. I've heard about you. I've seen your acts. I understand many things about you, but I've been blinded. I just didn't even recognize you. I didn't pay attention to your word. 
The word of God is simple, it's clear. It's what we talked about even last week that when he says, I have loved you so much that I gave my life for you. And if you believe, that if you receive, that if you accept, you can be saved. So let's just spend some time in prayer and worship and turning to the Lord to respond to him this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.